0: of the Western Hockey League. Number 5 ranked player in this year's draft is a native of Burnaby, British Columbia. Carl was named Calgary's Scholastic player of the year in both 2005 and 2006. He was also a member of Canada's gold medal winning team at the 2007 World Junior Championships. More Scouts Room Banner. What am I looking for in Carl Altner if I only go to Calgary and I'm only going to see him two or three times? Strong, steady and reliable. What team in the National Hockey League couldn't use that? Uh, So with that, you're looking for a person who can read the ice, a person who knows when to jump with the puck, when not to. He's got a good, strong shot from the point, plays on the power play, and plays in all situations, destined, without swelling your head, to be a darn good NHLer. Good for you. Thanks.
1: The grinding guys get it done again for the Washington Capitals. They were superior in Game 4. There is a turnover. The puck's in deep. Calvin DeHaan, another turnover. Jay Beagle on it. Quick shot by Troy Brower. He fights to keep that puck away from Yarrow. A lot. Carl Osner jumps in and he finishes it off. The lot thinks he throws the puck. He's not happy with the non call But doesn't matter right now. That's a goal. You see Brower come around. Olsner jumps out. Bam. Lot really- Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of GOAT Radio, the greatest of all time podcast show. And I got to tell you this, we are jacked up for this one. I'm the big man. And joining me is GOAT co-host, Nucci. Nucci, I feel like we're playing our first NHL game tonight, man. We had a whole pre-game routine because we got an absolute legend on the podcast a Burnaby legend, um, had himself an amazing NHL career. Ladies and gentlemen, Goat Radio brings to you Carl Alsner, a.k.a. King Carl. Thank you, brother.
2: <laughs> it's my absolute pleasure to be to be on the pod. I have already listened to a little bit. I listened to the Busto episode, which we need to talk about because he was freaking throwing darts at me there. and I needed to defend us. myself at some point, but but uh but yeah I mean I don't I don't throw around the word legend uh, very often so for you to say that obviously burn keep it to Burnaby legend. we can't go any further than that but uh, I appreciate it I'm, I'm very happy to be on
0: yeah you're a fitting uh fitting guest after the booster one after you were mentioned uh, a couple times during that one so
2: Dude, uh, I had I- to come <laughs>
0: chasing chasing after you after his uh his comments that you ended his WHL career but
2: yeah, I've been hearing that for years from him. I was wondering if he was gonna if he was gonna throw that out there if he still feels that way. But I mean, shoot, you got to take out the best player on the other team, and he was, he was <laughs> so I had to come for him. But I don't know. I mean, th- that guy was all over the ice. He I, he wasn't even a defenseman. He was a rover. He was like he was Mike Green before Mike Green was Mike Green. You know, like <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting and fun to play against him. And when I mean, you guys know him, he's got a face that you just kind of like laugh at because he's always got this smile on and. I'd see him down below the goal line in, in, in our, our zone. I'm like, what the hell are you doing down here? You're and he probably play. had a
0: smirk on his face too while doing it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And he's <laughs> throwing pucks from behind the goal line off my ass and in. So it was, it was, just, it was funny. I, I, uh, I thought it was, a uh, it was fun to hear him talk about the stories because, you know, it's sometimes it takes somebody to bring up a story from the past for you to remember how, how fun it was and how, how great of a time that was and for, for him, I think it was a good time. For me, it was a great time. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that.
1: Uh, all right, boys. Awesome. First things first, the, the GOAT fans know the drill. We've got to describe what we're wearing. I go first. I got on the black jersey, the, the old school basketball, Chicago Bulls with the red and white trim. Number 91 here, Dennis Rodman. I love this one. It hangs... In the goat Raj, usually right below that Washington cap jersey, right there.
0: <laughs>
1: Nucci, what about you?
0: Um, I got uh, in honor of last weekend's uh, Super Bowl, and unfortunately, my my boys didn't make it there. I got the Cowboys uh, Ezekiel Elliott twenty-one and the the hat to match. So I uh, figured I it was tucked away for the for the off season, but I figured I'd pull it out for for one more week.
2: Pretty, pretty impressive. I, per, before I go, I just want to say the Rick Riffin jersey, love that. What a beauty. Oh. I, I I watch his fights uh, still all the time. They're yeah. On to just see it because I, I was always so amazed by what he did. So I got to give a shout out to, to the Rick Riffin jersey. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm rocking what I think is probably the best athlete to come out of the Burnaby. Um, uh, Joe Sackick with his uh, Colorado Avalanche 2001 Stanley Cup jersey that I got. It's actually going to go up. There you go.
0: For a sack like there. Oh wow!
2: Oh, so up up dude, I have only Canadians. So my heads in the way? Only Canadians go up on the wall. So we got, we got Wayne, we got Sid. Mario, oh, some,
1: some absolute goats right there.
2: Eyes, man. Oh. Yeah. My and then of course you gotta have. You gotta have your own forty. The training
0: cap number, baby.
2: Exactly. I wore it for <laughs> one one game only. My first NHL game, I wore that, and then the trainers. Uh, switched it for me, so I was pretty lucky to get out of it as fast as I could. I like this
0: guy's sticking around here, let's get him what he wants.
2: Well, well, you know what? I was so happy that that they switched my number. But looking back on it, I think it would have been kind of cool. I, I played so many years with Carlson, and Carlson wore seventy four, and I was wearing forty seven, and so it would have been it would have been four seven seven four along the blue. Line. <laughs> People so getting, have been seeing double. Yeah, it would have been great. <laughs> but, you know, I was happy I. I got to switch over. So Yeah, Joe Sakic, Jersey, Colorado Avalanche uh, is one of my, one of my That's favorites. I have a funny story about Joe Sackick too. Um, I'll tell you guys quick is that I, he, it was right after he reached a milestone. I don't know if it was 400 or 500 goals, whatever it was. He's in Calgary and I was playing for the hitman. And uh Dave Lowry was our coach and he got me one of Sackick's six from the night before. And I was so fired up, got it signed. Like, like, dude, you know, everybody wanted that Sackick curve, but yeah. the ones were, ones we got in the store weren't necessarily what he was using. And so I got his stick. It was signed. So fired up. I told the warrior rep, I said, Hey, I need you to replicate this curve. I, I want this exact thing so I can use it. And he said, well, the only way we can do it is take it in and actually make a mold of it. I'm like, I'm not giving it to you guys. Cause it's signed by Sakic And, and he said, I promise we'll get it back to you. So I sent it along and sure enough, never found it again. It got lost somewhere in the factory. Someone's got it on their collection now, and I never got the stick back. Oh, and I never, I never even got to use the curve either. So I was double. I was,
0: I was coming, <laughs> waiting for a happy ending there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a sad story.
2: I know. I was you really, never know what could
0: have happened with your offensive uh, numbers with that curve.
2: Imagine that, right? It could have turned into the juggernaut, but
0: because I remember <laughs> getting some of your sticks, and that was just like a s- straight, <laughs> pretty.
2: Yes, it was. It was like it was when the heel curve was cool. Right. I had zero whatsoever. It was a shovel. I was just trying to get it (laughs) good flips high and out of the zone. So yeah, you're right though. actually shoot. Now I'm going to think about that. Maybe I would have been better offensively.
1: (laughs) Carl, do you you remember anything from the good old days, the, the, the minor hockey days, especially with the Burnaby winter club, the powerhouse minor association there that till this day is still rocking.
2: Yeah, I remembered lots from it, man. It's I feel like you you really remember the fond memories, the the good times, right? Things when things are going good, you you seem to remember a lot of a lot of those moments. Um, And I had tons of them. I mean, I I still remember the first time I stepped on the ice there and uh, saw Mark Santorelli going end to end spraying snow like three feet in the air when he was stopping and I could barely even move on the ice. I had my head buried in my arm crying and I remember thinking to myself like well, this kid's the best player in the world. Like, how am I ever gonna be able to skate with him on the ice? And and I so I remember that on the on the small rink at, at BWC there. Uh, I remember a lot of a lot of good times running around when they built the new facility, gathering pucks and a lot of good battles. Double uh, A team versus Triple A team where we would go up one nothing in the first period and then the game would end 16-1. So we had it, although it was shitty to lose, it was it was still a really great memory. And um, I mean so lucky that I ended up playing there. Like, I was this close to playing at Burnaby Minor, and uh, and nothing against Burnaby Minor, but, I mean, the BFC is is where it is for a reason. So, yeah, got very lucky. Um, you know, it was, it was fun. We got pushed by a lot of good players. Which, like you remember all these names. Probably Wade McLeod, Rock Bradford, obviously the Sanarellis. um There's just so many good players, minor hockey players, especially, that came up through there that, you had no choice but to be pushed and, and become better. So yeah, it was, it was a fun place to be.
1: We plan to have all those guys on the pod soon with Sanarelli's are on board really soon. They're busy coaching next couple of weeks. They're going to be in the goat Raj with us. That would be awesome. If you came, when you come back, eventually come back to your hometown. If you have any time, we would love to have you in the pod here in the, in the goat Raj.
2: I'd love to see that thing in action. Like how many <laughs> you got there? It looks looks pretty impressive.
1: Oh, we're we're surrounded by just greatness here. We we love coming in here and just talking goats. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's um, get it to the WHL here, Nucci.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, Carl, you started off uh your road basically to the NHL, um, playing in the WHL and uh with the Calgary Hitmen, what was it like playing in the dub at that time? Uh, you started off, I think, with a game as a fifteen-year-old while you're playing um, with the Sockeyes that year, and then you ended up uh, g- going as a sixteen-year-old and and kind of playing another four years there. So, what was it like playing in that in that Saddle Dome in front of those big crowds? That um, was different uh, for a lot of the WHL teams and playing for that organization.
2: Yeah, it was, Calgary was awesome. I was very, very fortunate to go there because, you know, one of the reasons was because of the arena, right? It set you up for what you hope to play in front of. You're, we didn't always – we didn't fill it out like the NHL teams, but it was it – was, when you're in a building like that where it's big and wide, the ice feels bigger, there's a lot of things that you – that take time to get used to. So I think that was for sure an advantage. And I still remember when I did play that game as a 15-year-old, I was so mad because – we had a big bowling birthday party going on that day. I had a sleepover at my friend's house the night before, and I got a call from my mom saying, "Hey, you know, they, they want you to go and play a game." And um, I guess it's their teddy bear toss or something like that. And I was like, "I was like, oh, seriously? Like, I really want to go bowling. Like, I love bowling. look, <laughs> uh, like, we can tell them no, but it prob- probably doesn't look very good if you say that." So, sure enough, I was on a plane that day and, and played in this game, and it was not only was it my first game, but it was, it was a teddy bear toss game against the Red Deer Rebels, who I guess had been playing pretty bad. And, and Brent Stutter um, was their coach. And so those guys roll out on the ice using all wood sticks with work written on white tape on the blades. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wait a sec. I thought everyone used like two, uh, two pieces at the time. Everyone using responses, two pieces. And why are they using wood? And one of the guys was like, yeah, they've been playing crappy lately, so Sutter took away all their sticks. <laughs> so, <laughs> needless to say, came out and they worked really, really hard. It was. Uh,
0: Let's call up the fifteen-year-old to come and take some wax from the, the wood was, sticks.
2: It was nuts, man. It, w- it was fun though. Like I had really good memories of of uh, of playing in that league, and Calgary was great. The only thing that sucked is that because it was a, a, a big city they obviously didn't want us to get in trouble. So we had a really strict curfew. So we didn't, you know, you didn't get to enjoy the city as a, you know, when you're 18 years old you're legal in the city, you kind of want to go out a, a little bit on the town. So we didn't really get to enjoy it. Like you'd expect, maybe like a med hat teams, like teams like that, from my understanding had really, really good time, but overall it was, it was, it was great. I, I was lucky that I had, three or four really close teammates live down South with me. Like Calgary's Calgary's big. If you imagine you live, you live in North van versus, versus East van, right? Like you gotta, you had got a bit of a drive. So it's the same thing with Calgary you live in the North or the South. So we were split up They They had about half and half. So you didn't always see the North guys away from the rink. but luckily we had a, a good crew down South and we had good teams, man. I got, I got so lucky. We get there during the lockout year. So so Getzlaff was there. Ladd was there. Um, we had, we had, I think we, that was the year we were actually ranked third in the CHL next to London who had that stupid year where they lost like four games all season. And then Ramouski with Crosby. And so we were the third ranked team and we were the only team that didn't make it to the Mem Cup of those three teams.
1: We mm-hmm.
2: lost in seven. We were up uh, three games, three games to one against Brandon in uh, the second round and we lost in seven. And, like just to tell you how we we shut it down. I think we won like we won the first game four one, something like that, the next game ten one. And and then we just kind of went cruise control. We're like, Oh, we got this and next thing you know, we were we were up against it and lost in, in seven. So it was just a weird year because we had so much more to give and mm-hmm. Kind of fell short. Unfortunately, it was like foreshadowing for the rest of my career, just second round exits. (laughs) So I got used to it pretty quick. But overall, long winded way of saying I loved Calgary. I'm very, very fortunate to play there.
0: Unreal. Yeah. I mean, then after your your time there, basically, um, I guess, well, not after your time there, but going into your draft year, um, you ended up going in the first round, fifth overall. It uh, must've been pretty hectic season leading up to everything. Um, are there any cool memories of the draft, anything that sticks out like the combine or interviews with teams, anything that uh, any weird questions that maybe you were asked throughout that process?
2: Oh man, this, this could be a really long answer. Cause there's all, <laughs> of um, so yeah, I mean, it was a hectic year. We had world juniors that year. Um, our team was, was good again that year. Uh, so you know, there was there was a lot of action action happening with the hitmen, um, and then away from uh, away from the ring just always, you know, not not worried about scouts at games, but definitely aware of it. You knew that they were there, and and that they were probably looking at you, and you always obviously want to perform. So um, there's all a lot of that stuff going going on in the back of my mind. I didn't really expect to get, I didn't really know where I was going to get drafted, but obviously I knew World Juniors was going to help me, um, and so. I was hoping for something good there, but then yes, yeah, so we, we, I met with LA uh, three times. It was the most, I, I met with a couple teams twice, but LA three times, they are picking fourth overall. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, there's a good chance that, that LA might take me here. That like, they seem very interested. And so I, I, I had that going on and then we get to the combine and I was never like, I, I was never really in great shape. You know, I was, I was, I was in okay shape, but you couldn't look at me and be like, "That guy's an that guy's an athlete." You know, like he's I was I was fairly soft, right? And so we get to the to the combine, and I could push myself fine. I wasn't worried about the bike bike test or anything like that. But I was scared shitless of the sit up test, and I'm like, <laughs> "Holy smokes!" Like I cannot do sit up. I've never been able to do sit ups, and uh, and so yeah, they they lay you down, and you're supposed to you know like once you get going, you you go as soon as you break form, like you're toast. And so I said, "Go!" And I tried to get up, and I got up halfway, and I couldn't get up any anymore. <laughs> I, I fell back down. The guys like, "Whoa!" I remember <laughs> saying, like, Whoa. "I'm like, sorry, I got thrown off there. Can I I'll start?" Can I, <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, uh, "Yeah, okay, we'll let you go again." So I go again. I think I squeezed out like four sit-ups, and I finished. I was like, "Holy crap! Like, there's no chance anyone's going to want to draft me. I can't even do a sit-up." What was your best so,
1: exercise, you think?
2: I think the either the either the windgate gate or or the VO2. Like I was oh. I was pretty good on the bikes, but I just the rest of that stuff, I was just awful. I don't know what it was. Leg power was fine, but yeah, but any sort of from waist up strength, I was terrible. So <laughs> that was nerve-wracking. And then my meeting with Washington actually was one that really stood out because I, I walked in there and they probably had 15 people in the room. They just got delivered Subway for lunch. And so they're all opening up their sandwiches, wrapping papers really loud. And they're firing questions at me as this is happening. Um, they asked me if I had a girlfriend at the time. I did. So I. they said, do you have a picture of her? And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I so I showed them a picture of her. And uh, they all, they were all passing around like, okay, okay. Like it was, I don't know if they were trying to make me feel comfortable or if they were just being weird, no idea. And then they, uh, they asked me if I knew a joke. And so like I had some prep for my agent that they might ask something along those lines that, you know, they just want to see what kind of personality you have. And so I was panicking, like, shit, I never, I, I was aware they might ask, someone might ask me for a joke, but I didn't think about having one in my back pocket which was obviously stupid thinking back on it. Um, So I'm like, okay, do I say no, I don't have one and seem like I'm stiff? Or do I just tell them the only joke that I can remember? (laughs) And so I decided to tell them the only joke that I can remember, which to this day I haven't said again, because it is the most offside, disgusting joke you could ever say. And I said it and their reactions were just like, Jaws dropped, mouth open, like, oh, God, you just say that. And uh, and that was pretty much the end of the meeting. They were just like, yeah, okay, uh, I think we got enough. Uh, we'll maybe see you at the draft. And I left thinking, wow, did I blow that. So, <laughs> so put those off the table because they think I'm some lunatic. And so I, uh, I left the combine, finished off the season, And then get to get to Columbus where the draft was. And so I went to the, it was in Vancouver the year before. So I got to see Backstrom get drafted and kind of understood the process. And then we're in Columbus and uh, the draft order from where I thought I was going to be slotted at that time was LA at four, Washington five, Edmonton at six. And so I met with Edmonton before I knew that they were in need of a defenseman. Um, And, uh, and as I'm walking out of the hotel, Kelly Buckberger pulls me aside and says, shakes my hand and says, "Hey, stick around till six. You're gonna be an Oiler." And I was like, "That is huge!" Like, like so many kids go to the draft wondering where they're gonna be, and I knew I had a cap. Right, I'm not yeah. going past six, and I'm, go- I'm going to Edmonton. And so I'm like walking down there, like, <laughs> "Overall, look at me." <laughs> and so remember, I had I met with LA a ton, and I knew I wasn't going to wash. So. I'm in the draft, I'm in the arena, all the stuff's happening, they make their picks. L.A. comes up and I'm thinking, you know, L.A., West Coast, Hollywood, all this stuff. Like, this would be pretty cool to go play there. And uh, then they went completely off the board and picked Thomas Hickey. Like, I think Hicks was ranked maybe 30th in the first round, like, right towards the end of the first round. And so it was a bit of a shock to everybody. So I'm like, okay, well, there you go, I'm an oiler. Like, look at my parents and stuff, kind of fired up. (laughs) Washington comes up, and uh, and they go go to make their announcement. They say, from the London – and they stop after they said that. And I – like, you know, things happen in your brain really fast, right? So I'm thinking, okay, London Knights are picking Sam Gagne. And so – and then he stopped himself and said, sorry, from the Calgary Hitman and then picked me, and I was just stunned. I was like, what the heck just happened? How did I get oh. picked by these guys? And, you know, at the time, Washington and Pitt were the two teams that I would like, I would open up the NHL app and and refresh to see how many points did Obi have, how many did Sid have, you know, like I was the two teams besides the Canucks that I was dialed into, right? Following, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just like, wow, okay. So I go up there and take the picture, come back to the table after I start shaking hands. And I just said to this one guy, one of the older scouts and said, I am, I thought for sure you guys weren't going to draft me after that terrible joke I told you guys. And he just pulls me in tight. And he's like, I guess that shows you what kind of sense of humor we have. And like, (laughs) I'm telling you, this was a bad, like not bad, that it was a bad joke. It was like, it was so rude and offside. I'm like, these guys are freaks. And so anyways, we, yeah, that was it after that we had, uh, we had all the draft stuff after, and it was, it was crazy after that. I got texts, you know, as you do from, uh, captain of the team or players from the team and stuff. And we were off to the races, man. It was, sorry, it was, it's a long, it's a long answer, but there was a lot of stuff that happened that year that that was really, really fun and, and very memorable.
0: I guess you're lucky it was 2007 and not 2023 with, with your joke because uh, yeah. they would have probably had to report it now <laughs> with everything going on. And you can thank Mandy for whatever that picture was. Uh, <laughs> that she probably got you that, uh, that pick for you.
2: Yeah, they they wanted to see her in person. I guess. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah no, it was it was pretty funny, man. It was uh, the draft is wild. It's it's so many emotions for these kids, and you know you yeah. feel bad for feel bad for them when they're expecting. Like I think Don Cherry said it. Like, don't go to the draft, right? He said don't want to put yourself through that. You have no idea where you're going to go. It can be can be really hard on the kids, and so that was in the back of my mind. But I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to go. Like probably in the top ten. And, uh, and so, yeah, we went and it ended up being a good experience for me, but it can be, it can be very challenging for people.
1: How, how did you handle that pressure? Cause you know, we got Connor Bedard hometown boy here. That's, that's, you know, likely going first. What do you do in your, you know, to get the, get your mind off the game for an hour or two?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, so, so many people are different with what they like. Like I was always jealous of the, um, you know, I always use Drew Doughty as an example because he was just like a, just happy go lucky. He he I don't know, he was he's this very smart guy, but he would sometimes come across as like aloof, like didn't know what was going on. And I was always so jealous of that, right? I'm like, man, this guy just goes out there and plays the game. And we got me over here just like analyzing every shift that I've done and what did I do wrong there? How could I be better? And, uh, and so I was kind of that guy, especially a little bit later in my, uh, in, in my career. Um, but in junior, I, I was lucky that I, I felt really good on the ice all the time. Like it's the only time in my, in my playing career that I felt that I could control a game. And so it was just always going through my head. Like, you know what, let's, let's do something out there. Let's just go and take the puck and actually create something. And so I didn't, I didn't really have too many worries. I didn't really think about felt the pressure at that point because I uh, I think the confidence I gained from World Juniors was was very, very helpful. Um, that I knew that I was, you know, I was one of the best 10 players in the Western League at the time. So I always tried to play that way, right? So I had to – sometimes you fake confidence and, and uh, sometimes I fake the confidence and sometimes I felt like I had it. But um, regardless, that's just how I – how I went through things in my junior career, at least towards the end of my junior career.
1: Yeah, you touched on it. Your your 2007, 2008 years were were amazing years for you, filled with a lot of... Uh, oh, nice little pooch there. Who is that?
2: This is Ruby, yeah.
0: Uh, Ruby.
1: Won.
2: Hey, Ruby.
1: Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, 2007, 2008, a lot of accomplishments. I hear WHL, CHL, defenseman of the Year, Player of the Year, and back-to-back gold medal championships that must have been amazing years you captained one of the teams in 2008 and that team was just absolutely filled with stars it really shows the the the, you know the leadership you have you had on and off the ice Uh, like what were these years like and you know does anything stand out from those tournaments
2: well yeah tons uh well the years themselves were were crazy you know like getting, getting those awards was not something I was really expecting. I didn't, I never, I've never put myself in that category of player, like an award winning player, you know, like I've, I feel like I just always would try to go, go out there and do my job. And um, my job usually wasn't glamorous, but at that time I was on the power play and things like that. So I was starting to get some points. Um, But, you know, you you see these guys, even the guys that win the Norris trophy now, they're, they're, defenseman that put up lots of points right you don't you don't see um you know you didn't see like a Brent Seabrook with with 50 points winning it right you're gonna see the guy with 70 points and so so that that was just it was unexpected but at the same time it was you know one of those things that made me feel better about my game knowing that that other people appreciated what what I was bringing to the table so that yeah it was it was a shock to win anything um At that point but but obviously very happy and the world junior teams were so much fun man like i wish i could i wish i could have had gopro on for the entire time just to relive it but also share it with people because we had we had so much fun from like my first year we had uh we did a secret santa with these guys um because we both my years were in europe so we were kind of on our own and we did the secret santa i remember thinking this was so funny because um, Steve Downey had a bit of a list and so someone gave him for his gift, it was just a poem like a, like a poem, probably 20 <laughs> lines long, just filled
0: filled with S's
2: <laughs> yeah, sorry, someone's trying to call me on my Zoom, filled oh, okay. with S's so he, and they, they, he had to read it out to everybody and so, <laughs> it was so freaking funny, he was just there struggling through this thing, we're all <laughs> and laughing, someone gave uh, someone gave Mark Stahl uh, flashlight told him this is to help him get out of his brother's shadow because Eric was already oh, oh, oh. bring it up in the NHL. But my favorite probably was someone gave, someone gave Brad Marchand, they took all the tissues out of a tissue box and put a towel in there and gave him <laughs> the tissue boxes ah. to help him blow his nose because his nose is so big. I'm, like, I'm just oh, laughing. Like,
0: oh, I, really, I really don't
2: remember what I got because these other things were just so, so funny. Um, so we had that, we, we went to Finland and, uh, we we're in, it was called Verimaki Finland. It's a, it's one of, uh, their Olympic training grounds. And so the way that it works is it's in the, it's in the forest and, and there's cabins scattered throughout. And at the bottom of it is this pond or mini lake and that's where they do their diving. So they got all these platforms and stuff like that. And so it was really cool, massive, like 30 person sauna because the Finns love their sauna. And so, we, we get in, it's snowing, all this stuff, and they're like, we're going to play, like, a big game of cops and robbers, right? Like, we're all kids, still eight, 17, 18, 19. And so they're like, hey, two young guys are going to be it. So it's me and uh, Gagne that were that were it. And uh, and so we're running around. I chase um, Darren Helm up a ladder to the roof of one of these cabins. Like, there, it was snowy and everything. I'm like, what an idiot. Like, I got this guy. I get to the top, and he just slides down on his feet and <laughs> just launches himself off the roof of this cabin, lands, does like a like a ninja roll, and then takes off running. And I'm just like, who the hell is this guy? Like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And and so we finish this game, we go down, we all do this big sauna, and we're like, it'd be a great idea to jump in the lake, right? It'd be fun. So the first guy goes, jumps off the lake, and all you just hear is like, and then like the water spidering because there's, there's ice on it. And so we're all second guessing our decision but it led to you know everyone's going off the dock Then then they're going off the the one meter platform then the three meter platform and then you're like yeah let's let's go off the 10 meter platform that's a great idea pitch black with with a layer of ice on the on the platforms and so um we had uh uh Chris Letang and Luke Bourdon. they were deep partners for the tournament and I think it was it was Bordon who went off and as he kind of jumped he he did a little little slip and kind of went back and he ended up hitting his head on the on the on the water and gave himself a concussion and then right after that letang went and he kind of did the same thing and so he was doing the arm flap you know like the panic and he ended up separating the shoulder and so it's happened <laughs> oh, <back to> that. <laughs> well right before the tournament too and we we're just thinking like man we're so stupid but this is so much fun like we can't stop like enjoying ourselves right and so tournament was almost secondary at that point we were just having a good time and then um this is all from the same year so I was I was 18 I was the only 18 year old defenseman on the team and I wasn't really expecting they I don't think they were expecting a whole lot from me and so we play our first exhibition game against Finland that's when Tuka Rask was a goalie he was he was the guy at the time and first period at the end of the first period I had a goal and assist and we won the game I think 3-1 and I'm just like, geez, like okay, like I can hang with these guys. This is sweet. So next game is against Sweden, and uh, after the first period, I we were up one nothing. I had the goal again, and I'm like, holy shit, like I'm gonna destroy this tournament. This is gonna be easy. <laughs> and then second period comes, and uh, we go, we win a faceoff. It comes right to me in the D zone, and I'm like battling with the guy, and I I win the battle to go put it behind the net, and uh, our goalie wasn't quite paying attention, and actually came on net and went in our own net. And so I scored five hole on our own net. So the game was one, one. I had both goals. <laughs> Third period comes along and this guys just skating down the wall, like routine, just inside the blue line. He to take a shot. I stick my stick out, to deflect it. And I deflected it top shelf. And so they beat us. I think it was two, one. And I had all three goals in the game. <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is a reality check right here. And so I ended up, playing all the games, but did was played very sparingly after that. I don't think they uh, had a ton of confidence in me. And then for whatever reason, they thought the semifinals against the, the USA would be a good game and start giving me more ice time and the, and the finals, a lot more ice time. And I thought it was, it was weird because I hadn't played at all. And so I was extremely nervous you know, playing those minutes, but it was, maybe, it was, it was good.
0: Maybe they thought that stick could cool down after a few games and, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't wow. need you scoring goals at either end, so like, we can play him now.
2: <laughs> they actually gave me a right-handed stick after like after that. They like, don't need you scoring at all. Like doesn't matter.
1: Just, like, was this? that semifinal game? Peter Mueller versus Taves shootout. Yes, that it was. was unbelievable.
2: It was crazy, man. The most nervous I've ever been. I wasn't even a part of it, and it was just. I didn't really realize how crucial some of those shots were in the saves, right? Like I, we were on the yeah. brink so many times and, uh, and for those guys to to do what they did, um, yeah, it was, it was nuts, man. It's the, uh, it that, that one was, it was too bad because that was the semis, right? I wish it was the finals because the yeah. finals was kind of ho-hum, but it wasn't, you know, we, we were, we played a lot better than the Russians did in the final. So I wish that that was the final game because it would have been a little bit more memorable, but but either way it was, it was unreal. And then the next year we had, we, the gold medal game was an overtime game. So yeah, that was I, unreal. Yeah. The shootout and I had a gold, uh, an overtime game in, in the finals. So it was, it was, that prepared me for pressure. You know, I was at that point, I was like, okay, I, I know that the NHL is, is on a different level, but that pressure was, was intense. And so I think that, I think that really helped me a lot. Yeah.
1: Uh, so it's NHL time. Yeah. Um did you have to change your transition anything to be the, you know, the, the great, solid, durable defenseman that you were?
2: Yeah, I I had to, I, so let's, I'd say this, I, I always loved playing defense. That was my favorite thing was to frustrate players. I loved. I took a lot of pride in one-on-one battles, you know, whether it was open ice or in the corner, I, I just loved to win that way. I never really, I never really cared so much for offense. Uh, but like anybody, I enjoyed scoring goals. I thought it was fun. I loved assists, but I knew that my bread and butter was defense. And so coming from having an offensive role in junior and even in the American league, um, I I knew that I wasn't going to be ahead of Mike Green on the power play. I wasn't going to be ahead of Tom Pody on the power play. Hell, I wasn't going to be ahead of John Carlson on the power play either. Right. So how am I going to survive in this league if I'm not going to you know, be able to balance the negatives that I have on the ice with the positives of scoring goals. I need to just, I need to buckle down. I need to play the most solid defense that I can. And I knew that I knew that I could do that. And I knew, I knew that I enjoyed it. And so I figured out that, you know, I'm going to be that guy that they can put their offensive players with and not have to worry about what's going to happen. And I I took a lot of pride in that. I thought that was, that was so much fun for me. You know, there was nothing better than seeing Sid go back to the bench and slam the gate after a, you know, a a tip slap shot that he tried to take and and went into the, into the net, you know, like that seems like a nothing play. But to me, I go back to the bench, like being so happy that I just did that, you know, or or blocking a shot, you know, you know, killing a a penalty. Those were the things that really got me going. And I I learned really fast that that's how I was going to survive in the league because, Although I could play offense, I was nowhere near the level that those guys had. Like I said, I didn't have the the give a shit meter uh, to mess up like Drew Doughty did. I, that wasn't me. I, I took it way too personal if I if I messed something up. So I was going to focus on what I needed to focus on. And luckily, I was I was good enough that uh, and being a first round pick, I, I'll say this every single day of the week that you get way more opportunities. You know, there there there's players that are better a lot of times that are third fourth fifth some seventh eighth round picks that just don't get the opportunity because mm-hmm. they are making sure that they look good sometimes with with the draft picks and a lot of times those players maybe do have better they do have great talent but they can't figure it out so they need more time to develop and they need a longer leash um so i think i got a lot of really good opportunity there um and i had i mean I had i had bruce as as the my first coach there and and for whatever reason he liked me i think he respected my game and so he gave me uh he gave me a little extra leash although at times scared the shit out of me <laughs> it was it was nice that he was there for for the players when when we needed him to be
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's awesome yeah like you said there's probably a little more patience with uh, the higher draft picks and um and like you said they don't want to look look bad with with their picks or um so they definitely get a little more leeway but you definitely found your role uh and pretty quickly and you you were able to you know you spent nine seasons with the caps and um, you had some awesome awesome playoff matchups with the penguins like you mentioned some some of your second round uh, playoff exits but they were some unbelievable battles stuff that you know we watched that everyone watched and it was uh pretty special to to witness that and then you had some some of the outdoor games and some of the early HBO kind of 24-7 docs that were pretty cool to to follow along with and see a little more of the behind the scenes stuff that um you don't normally see and just seeing the players that you you watch or look up to um kind of interacting in the dressing room or with their families and things that you don't see with you know post-game interviews and things like that with the more cookie cutter uh answers that you would get out of guys so it was that was a pretty cool um, thing to see. And yeah. So do you have, you know, some stuff that sticks out with you, especially with those, over those nine seasons uh, playing with the Caps?
2: Yeah. Well, there was, you know, it, when you, when you get to the NHL or the American league, it's quite a lot different because you you're playing with guys that have families, right. They have wives, they have, they have kids. Um, So the what you're used to in junior, or even in some cities in the American League, you, it's just not like that anymore, right? Everyone comes in and does their work, and then they go they go home and they go back to the wife and the kids, and and you don't see them again until the next day, right? Um, where where we were very fortunate, uh, I think, same way that pretty much at the same time Chicago was as well, is they had a, a group of young guys that all came in and made made the team at, at about the same time. Right. So, so, you know, we had, we had OV, we had Semin, Green, Backstrom, me, Carlson, Matthew Pro, Jay Beagle. We were all kind of in there doing the same thing. Braden Holby at the same time where uh, it was pretty much just all hockey, right. We didn't, we didn't have anything else going on. So we hung out a ton together. We talked hockey with each other. We all you know, went shopping together. It was, it was just all we had. So um we ended up making some unreal memories and we had a lot of, a lot of fun times you know we started getting into shuffleboard and, and a lot of ping pong and just these things that you know just we need we needed something to to kill time and get our get our heads off of hockey when we didn't want to think about it and then you know you, you get to you get to hear about all the stories that the guys have going out like I didn't really go out a ton um because I was you know i it was nervous. I didn't, I always wanted to make sure I was, had my wits about me and, and ready for the next day. Um, I wasn't great at playing hungover. So I didn't, I didn't really go <laughs> as much as some of these other guys did. And then I had Mandy come and move down with me full time. I think my third, my third year. And so, so I, I was a little bit more focused than some of these guys were, but I got to hear all the stories. Right. So I think just, I think coming to the, to the rink and having story time every day was, was some of the best the best memories, um, but we did have some great, great playoff series that were that were really fun. They were heartbreaking, um, most of them, but but there was a couple couple that were were great, really solid, like the the Boston one. We won in, in seven against Boston when they it was the year after they had won the cup, so that they were still you know the big dog and expected to to go in go in deep again, and uh, you know, we found a way to 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 sneak one out there and that was that was uh that was a serious high and that was the first round of the playoffs. So like, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it would have been second, third, fourth round to to get there because just that alone was was remarkable. Um so there was that the HBO series I'm glad you mentioned, because I think that was you know, I don't I don't know exactly when the uh, like the hard knocks in uh in football started that when they started covering them a little bit closer in training camp and stuff. But But I think that was one of the first good behind the scenes looks into hockey. And even with that hockey players are guarded typically. So you didn't really get to see everybody's true colors. I know like we had Jason Chimera, who was a character. I don't even know how to explain this guy. He was something else. Um, And he would just run away as soon as the cameras came. And it was like, (laughs) I wish wish people could see what Chimera's like, because he's so funny and he's just so crazy. Um, So you, you, you still missed out on a little bit of it, but you did get to see a little bit uh the the curtain was removed a little so that was kind of nice um but yeah i mean it, it's hard to pick one one moment that was that was the best um, but besides besides playing my first game and scoring my first goal i'd say probably the most spawn moment was uh was uh beating boston in the playoffs that that one series cuz the rest of them are are memorable but not Necessarily for for great reasons. They're they're they were learning lessons, and that's why they're memorable. Mm.
1: Yeah. Um. One of the focuses of this pod is kind of the to honor like the, the goats of the sporting world, right? Um, and a guy's name that pops up in the pod often, Alexander Ovechkin. You know, he's hunting down the great one Wayne Gretzky for that scoring title. You played with this guy for like nearly a decade how is this guy in the dressing room? How is he off the ice? He looks like a complete beauty. <laughs> and do you have any stories for us? Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's what you'd expect, right? Like what, what you see on the ice is like take that off the ice and that's the way he is. Um, I think the, my, my first memory of Ovi that I thought was kind of funny was, uh, um, he would always wear like the beats headphones. And so he, we, we get into the, I remember getting into the room and, I just hear like this, this noise. I didn't even know what this noise was. And I look over and it's him just singing at the top of his lungs. He has no idea why I, he knows that people can hear him, but he can't really hear what's going on. Cause he's got this music. We, we can also hear the music, how loud it is. And he's just like broken English, sometimes <laughs> Russian, trying to rap, trying to sing. Like it was, it was, you know, not good. Like you can imagine it's not, it was not good. And I'm thinking like, I'm trying to get dressed here and focus on this game. And I got this guy singing Rihanna next to me here and it just sounds hilarious. And so I, I remember thinking that, you know, everybody prepares different, right? This is, this is how this guy does it. So I thought that was really funny. I, I loved uh, how many Red Bulls he would drink before games. Um, you know, he was just getting as fired up as possible I could barely drink one of those things and I'd be at my capacity and he was guzzling between three and five. And I'm just like, that is very, very impressive that he can do that. But, you know, he's, uh, he's larger than life. Uh, You know, things have obviously changed now with with wife and kids that that settles pretty much everybody down. Um, But I, I, it's just crazy to see it up close and personal, right? Like I I was lucky that I got to play with him and then play against him and I could see, see exactly what it is when he turns it, turns it up and and plays against you. Um, And it is, it's just wild. Uh, Offensively, I don't think he gets enough credit for how good of a passer he is. Mm -hmm. I'm always impressed that he can even pass with that stick, to be honest with you, because it is, it is, you know, it is a banana. And you look at a banana, that's (laughs) what it is. Like just twist it and turn it up, give this massive heel curve with a toe curve. It is just awkward um i had brought it actually to my men's league team for some of the guys to use and the one guy was trying to use it and he was whiffing on everything it was so <laughs> funny so i think they they had an appreciation for it too but he just he does all the offensive stuff really really well and uh and i'm I'm glad he's still able to to do what he does because it is it's one of the records you know no one's going to score as many points as gretzky you know that's mm-hmm. yeah no one thought anyone was going to score as many goals as him either. And and now, now it's, it's going to be broken barring any crazy injury. It's going to be broken. So it's- uh,
1: uh, honestly, how, how does he keep scoring? Like we all know he's going to shoot in that spot. The goalies know the players know everyone on the bench knows, but it, they go in. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah.
2: He doesn't need, he doesn't need more than half a second. Right. That's the, yeah. uh, that's what they're looking for. Is is they just need they need one second to get it to him, and he's going to do it. But I think I think you look at the way the power play is structured as well. It's like he's obviously the option one A, but you have you have Carlson who can also hammer the puck. You had Green who could also hammer the puck that was at the top. So you kind of have to respect that. And then you have the triangle play with whoever it is, Oshie or Wilson. You know, it was it was Semin at, at times. You have to. You have to also think about that. And If Baxter ever decides to shoot the puck, he can shoot it too. Uh, he's not not as hard, but he's 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 got un- unbelievable accuracy. So there was just so many threats that you had to pick. You know which threat you were going to cover, and and a lot of times, you know, all Backy needed was just a like, Backy doesn't need much space at all to get a pass to you. And so if you wanted to get it there, he was going to get it there and, and Obi's just ready to hit it. And so he scored a ton of goals from there, but he's also scored a ton of goals from other places. Like I got in shit. My the first game back that I, the first game that I played against Washington with Montreal, I got in shit because I wasn't, I wasn't hard enough on him at one uh, in the first period where I ended up pushing him out from the front of the net, which is a feat in itself. Let me tell you that this guy's huge and he's up at the top of the circle and their defenseman floats a puck through and I lifted his stick. So his stick was up here and it, all he did just for a second was just he moved it over. So my stick went flying and he brought it back and just reached back and tipped this puck down through, through Price's legs. And I'm just like, in my head, you know, you're always thinking there, what could I have done differently on that play? I literally couldn't have done a single thing different on that play. And I, I remember getting in shit cause I wasn't hard enough on him. And I'm thinking to myself, Dude, you don't understand, but what he just did there was (laughs) impossible. It was a tip; it wasn't even a shot. So you know, he just he just has different ways to score goals, and it and it's it's unbelievable to see. He's he's very strong. He's very durable. Um, When he wants to turn it up, he he can turn it up, and he's he's pretty he's he's smart with his uh, energy conservation, (laughs) and so he knows when to turn it up when he needs to.
0: I was gonna say I don't know how. With all those Red Bulls, he consumes how he's kind of – you catch him standing still there on the on the face-off dot waiting for those one-timers. It looks like he turned himself off for a 2nd And
2: that's the funniest thing to see? When you see a puck get dropped and he just stands there for like like a legit five-second. Like everyone just stop and count five seconds. That's a long time in hockey not to move your feet. And he does it all the
0: time. Like especially when you're waiting for a one-timer. Like I feel like when I played – like. I was wanted a little bit of me moving back a bit as I was going to receive it, but he just stands still.
2: Exactly. It's like the waggle in golf, right? Like you, you move the club a little bit, you move your feet a little bit. It's like nervous energy almost. Right. Yeah. He's just stand there and then you hit, you hit, he hit circle and he top corner. It's just crazy. It's very, very fun to watch.
0: Yeah. That's unreal. And it's a fair point how you mentioned just how many threats that that PP has that, they can't they can't just take him away because then it's a 4 on 3 with all those other weapons uh and they'll dismantle you so yeah it's maybe on another team he wouldn't have that kind Boys. of uh crazy success but he uh he's definitely on a great spot and he, he's just hammering away and hopefully he does it uh 90 more times and we get to witness that uh, as hockey fans um him break that record that we never thought would have got touched and I don't think we'll get touched again, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. I just want, um, I just want to mention one thing. It's, it's, it sucks that you guys didn't have the success you wanted. Cause the core watching your guys's core was, it, it was awesome. Like it was the, it was the most popular core there in the NHL at the time. You guys, it, it was fun hockey to watch. I just wanted to point that out.
2: Yeah, it was, it was fun hockey to watch. It was fun, fun hockey to play in too. Like we, we had, uh, like we we always said we're a country club, right? Like we just we were there to have fun, and no one really took themselves too seriously. Like there's a few guys that did, but for the most part, it was just you know like you lose a game, you tip your cap, and you move on. Like it's next day, and yeah. uh, I I, uh, I thought that was probably pretty beneficial to us in the long run is that we were able to do that, and uh, you know that's why that's why when I think about it, it was it was pretty heartbreaking that we never. Uh, had any success with that whole crew. Like even even the year that they won, we had I think that we had six or seven guys that left that year. So it was it was still a big group. And obviously it, it needed to happen for them to to get over the hump. But um you know timing timing sometimes is everything. And I think you I think you could also see like like Ovi and Koozie were different players that year than they were any other year in the playoffs. They they went to another level that I had never seen before. Um, and so you know, it's just looking back on it, it's like, ah, I wish I wish you would have been able to do that a couple a couple other years. And you know, for me personally too, like, like I said to you guys, I I never, you know, I the, only, the one thing I was confident in was my ability to play defense, right? And I never really never really um thought of myself as a player that could have like a, a major impact on a game. You know, I was always just kind of like do my job and, and stay quiet and that kind of thing. And then the two those two years we lost to Pitt in a row were the only two years in the playoffs that I ever got hurt. And in the back of my mind, you know, what's going through my head is like trying to trying to think what could be better. I'm like, man, if it's the only time I felt confident, I'm like, if I was out there, I might have been able to maybe do something, right? Like my job was to shut down those top guys, and those top guys were great against us in those series. And all that was going through my mind is like, man, why the hell do you get injured now of all times? you know, the two times against Pitt too. And so, you know, that, that's, you know, one of the things I I think about, but I'm over it, but I still think about it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, those are the, that was my job and I wasn't there to, to do the job. So, you know, going back to not being able to win with that core, you know, I, it would have been nice if I could have, you know, been a part of that a little bit more at that time of the year.
0: Yeah. Well said, man. that's mm-hmm. uh impressive, um, Leading into, like you mentioned, uh, getting injured there in the playoffs. On the flip side of that, you had about an eight-year run uh, Ironman streak. Uh, some of the numbers here, 622 games um, consecutive. That's the 13th longest streak. And in the top 30 of the consecutive game streaks, there's only four defensemen. Um, so it just goes to show how, how difficult it is, but also um, the if def- the position you play um, and the hard minutes that are played at that position to be able to do that. Um, what was kind of your recipe for staying healthy if there was one? Um, and I'm sure you played through some nasty uh, injuries. Uh, if you have any to that, you know, come off the top of your head that you, you'd share with us.
2: Recipe was cupcakes and burgers and <laughs> it's <laughs> just eat whatever i want you get a little padding on you uh no i i i I
0: always can't pull fat
2: that, i mean you need to have something i played with a lot of guys <laughs> that were super super skinny and or really really shredded and they got hurt all the time you know and i know everybody's body's different but but uh i i like to think that that helped me out a lot um it, it's luck man on a lot of it is luck right like i i some guys have injuries that you just can't do anything about and it's freak and, and it's, it's, you can't play through it. I was lucky that the injuries I had were ones that I could play through. Right. So, you know, playing the style that I had, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of things were broken from blocking shots. Um, but I never had that, like, you know, I didn't have a torn MCL. You know, I didn't have a, um, you know, a broken leg. You know, I had broken feet and hands and, and fingers things like that or you know little strains oblique strains though not not like a a hip or a groin where you know it's it's a lot harder to skate and be effective so I I just got really really lucky I train hard um and I I have a I have so going back to my days in Hershey I had a trainer that accused me of faking an injury so I didn't have to play during the playoffs (laughs) and that pissed me off a lot and I've I remember thinking from that day forward, I'm like, like nobody's going to think that I'm ever faking an injury. Like I'm going to prove that, that I would never do that. And so that, that was in the back of my mind. It didn't matter if you know, I was sick, had flu, puking, whatever it was. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go away. And so that, that was something that I needed to prove. Um, bad injuries. I mean, I, I had a, I had a two herniated discs in Hershey when I was there the next year that I was playing with. And, uh, they thought maybe I had a stress fracture and, um, didn't, we didn't figure it out until after, but I mean, the training staff at Hershey is, is, was terrible. The worst. And so, uh, so I wasn't surprised that that was misdiagnosed. Um, and then, uh, I mean, I, I guess that that year in Pittsburgh, I had, uh, I had a torn ab that turned into a torn groin, but we were just shooting it up and freezing everything that, you don't really notice it until it gets too bad, and then eventually it's it becomes unplayable. And like I said, unfortunately, it was it was playoffs. Um, and then I had a I had a pretty bad broken hand. Actually, I don't know if you, you guys can see it, at least on the screen. Oh, yeah, can see the yeah. lump yeah. The lump right there. That happened first period, first round against Toronto. Um, we were playing them, and it was just a routine block shot, a wrist shot from the point, and I just batted it down with an open hand and I should have batted it down with a backhand obviously but I figured open hand gives me a little bit more control over where that puck's going. I remember thinking to myself that it didn't feel good at all and I get back to the bench and if you could imagine imagine, imagine Rory McIlroy hits a driver from 50 feet in front of you and you just catch it and you have an imprint of a golf ball like that's what it looked like. I had this huge dent in my hand and these two bones in the middle of my hand broke in half and then went up on top of each other, kind of making X. Mm. And so I remember thinking like, wow, this, this is the worst timing possible. So I just stuck it back in my glove and we finished that game. And um, I go and show the trainer after I'm like, look, I don't, I don't really know what we should do with this. And he's like, well, you're probably, you're probably done. <laughs> like, You need to get x-rays obviously. And um, they told me, after that, that I needed to have it prepared. It probably was gonna need to plate and all that shit. And I just said, no, like, I mean, I, let's just keep playing. Like, how do I continue playing? He said, the only way you can keep playing is if you keep that swelling down. If you can keep it down to like very minimal, then we'll let you play. And so I had this machine I was using. It's like, like imagine a stim, a stim machine that you'd have at physio on steroids. And so I had this thing on it all day long. I had a game ready <laughs> on it all day long. And I showed up the next day at the rink uh for the day of the game and he's actually he's trainers like it i'm actually surprised like it looks way better than i was expecting it to like obviously i had this huge i had this like tp on the back of my hand and a golf ball <laughs> on the inside but he's like the swelling looks okay so he's like if you want to do it you can do it so i go back in the game playing it's my top hand too right so my control hand so it was it was tough and the weirdest things would happen i was getting like I would be on the bench and a guy would get hit in front of me and I'd get slashed on the top of the hand from the guy who just got hit and I'd get it jammed. Like I'd never get it jammed before. And, and so we finished that game. We lost. So we are we are one, one, uh, in that series and we get to Toronto and uh, we roll into the rink and I know that I'm in trouble now because the way my hand looks. And so I walk in and I got my hand in my pocket and the trainer kind of grabs me, brings me in. He's like, let's see how it looks. And I'm like, oh, it's the same same as what it was before. (laughs) Let's see. I pull it out and imagine like your hand with a boxing glove on it. Like it was, it was so swollen. I couldn't even like, I couldn't close more than that. And so I'm like, well, just build up my knob so that I can close enough on the knob and it'll be okay. And he finally, my hand
0: to my stick.
2: (laughs) All I need is that. And he finally pulled the plug on me. He says, we're not, we're not doing it. Um, says we, we won't do surgery just in case, uh, if we make it to the third, fourth round, then then we're gonna need you. Um, but you can't play. So I remember I had to sit out game three, four, five, um, and then game one and two of the second round against Pitt at home. We lost back to back games. Crosby killed us. And then trotsky came up to me in the in the room the next day. says, How are you? And I'm like, I'm fine. Like I can play right now. And he says, Okay, fine, you're playing next game. So <laughs> Played next game. I think we won. We won the next game. And we lost in overtime. The game after that, we went down three, three one. We got to three two. Anyways, we lost in we lost in in uh, in six. And I remember thinking like, there was a play that happened. They put me and uh, I think it was me and Brooks Orpik together, and um, both both lefties. And so uh, I don't remember who it was. They threw a puck up the middle of the ice. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'll, I'll let Brooks take this because he's he's a lefty, so his stick is in the middle of the ice. So I didn't even bring mine over because it's my shitty hand at the time. And so the puck went right between us breakaway. Patrick Hornquist scored a goal. And I think it ended up being the game winning goal. I remember thinking, like, man, if my hand was fine, I would have it would have been a no like easy just get my hand over there, tip the puck, but I left it because I just didn't have the mobility. And so, you know, there's all these things that you break down after the fact, but yeah. Yeah, that was
0: that was an injury that was that was that was pretty bad. Man, that's uh that's pretty gruesome. Um yeah. but man, it's a hard game and that's pretty pretty uh, like impressive numbers that you're able to do that and like you said it kind of became like a like a thing you wanted to prove and uh, I'm sure it kind of drove you through a lot of those those situations and those injuries that you had and also luck like you said that it wasn't major catastrophic things that you definitely can't even attempt to play through. So that's super impressive. We've talked about that on the podcast before, like Kessels right now over a thousand games. Like it's absolutely nuts. Like we joked about how you didn't eat a bad hot dog one day and couldn't play a game or something. Like it's, <laughs> it's absolutely. Yeah. Crazy, it's, man. it's, it's
1: a, it's a truly a remarkable like statistic, like to, 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 to just, to just continue to play every game without any injury. Uh, it's just truly amazing. And you did it for 622 games. Good on you. Well, amazing. I
2: think, I think what's cool too, especially with, with Kessel. Well, with, with all the guys that are up there is, is consistency, right? Not just being able to play through injury, but being able to play at a high enough level that, that you, yeah, they're
0: high end players too, right?
2: Exactly. So like yeah. his, his record, it stopped because of healthy scratch. Um, um, Keith Yandel's healthy scratch. You know, mm-hmm. We're there, but mine, healthy scratch as well. So that's usually, well, well, that's what takes a lot of these guys out that have been at that level. Like you get to 800 games in a row, 700 games in a row, like you're going to do everything you can to play through an injury, yeah. right? Yeah. something out of your hands that that takes you out of it. And so, you know, that that's unfortunately what happens to a lot of guys. So the fact that he's been able to play, you know, the style of game he plays, which is, you know, the outskirts of the rink a lot yeah. of times. Still, to be able to play at a high enough level that a coach isn't gonna healthy scratch him, and maybe he's had great coaches that understand that. You know, I can't be the guy to healthy scratch Phil Kessel right now, but but still, like it it shows it shows grit, but it also shows you know being able to play at a pretty good consistent level.
0: Yeah, that's a very very good point, man. Yeah. Um. So we'll move on here to kind of the the end of your career. Uh, you finished off with the Canadians organization. What was it kind of playing for, you know, an original six legendary team and um, also you're 31, I believe when you retired, what kind of, you know, what led to your decision to stop at 31? Um, Did, you know, Europe ever become a thought, Um, you know, maybe take us through all that?
2: Sure. Yeah. So, so. I think probably in 15 20 years I'm going to look back and think you know it was sweet that I was in Montreal that I that I played and put that jersey on but I'm I'm not at that point yet I'm still I'm still very anti Montreal Canadiens <laughs> <laughs> for a few reasons okay? I'll, I'll kind of lay them out for you um I was a Leafs fan growing up but when you get to the NHL it really doesn't matter but that's just side note I guess we'll say that so I never thought that I was going to no, i never they are, are
0: they are already on the back burner
2: i never had a dream of being a montreal canadian right i had yeah. a dream of, i'd love to be a maple leaf think that'd be cool um and then i signed there uh very very reluctantly as well i i they were all they were always on my no trade list i never wanted to go there um i told my agent no i'm not going to sign there uh it, during free agency i turned down their deal and we still managed to end up that way it's kind of a it's a long long story how we got there but just to kind of keep it a little bit more brief it was it ended up being the best option um from my knowledge that I that I was told and so uh so we went with that deal um Washington wasn't on the table so that's that's why we had to leave there otherwise I would have I would have stayed obviously in in DC um so yes we ended up there so I went into it um already kind of with a bit of a bad mindset so that's for sure on me the self-fulfilling prophecy i think that was that was some of it um didn't have didn't get a good vibe from the the meeting with the gm the meeting with the coach coach julian was kind of like he seemed really disorganized almost like he didn't understand why i would be coming to the team it was it was just a weird weird fit and so anyways we get to training camp there and uh, i came from from wash which was a although it was a country club, it was, we were very, very organized. We we knew the ins and outs of every team. We were very, very well prepared for every single game. Everyone knew what their job was, what we were doing on the ice. So we get to our first training camp and, uh, and everything's going just, you know, kind of whatever. Then we get to our first exhibition game and it was in Quebec city. And we were thinking we're sitting in the dressing room and I'm one of the only veteran guys playing this game. And i to the other guy David Schlemko I'm like what are we uh like do you know what we're doing out there for face offs or like PK like what what's happening he's like no we haven't we haven't really gone over anything and I'm like yeah us neither I'm like okay well maybe they'll tell us before the game they don't tell us anything before the game so we got shit kicked but I don't even know what it was and it was just bad and so the next game happens we still don't really go over much of anything a little bit on some neutral zone stuff no face offs God, weird. So we, we lose the next game, lose the next game, lose the net. we, we ended up going, uh, I think like six and one in the exhibition and we didn't go over shit all, like we had no idea what we were doing out there. And so we're getting ready for the season. I'm like, okay, surely, like, we're gonna, we're gonna get prepared now. And it was just the most basic, like <laughs> fringe preparation ever. And we're going into the first game of the season. And I'm like, what is happening here? Like, I have no idea what this team is going to do tonight. And I barely know what we're going to do tonight. And uh, so we start the season. I think we started like 1-6-2 and two or something like that. After the first five games of the year, I was leading the team in points. Like, it was not how a season should go. If I'm leading <laughs> the team in points, like, something is very, very wrong. And so we, I remember we got pulled aside. Like, Weber got injured second game of the season, I think. Um, and so me, Petrie and Jay, uh, Jordy Ben got pulled aside and, uh, Julian's just showing us all these clips of us doing bad things on the ice. And and he's like, you guys just need to play with more confidence. You guys are good defensemen, like play with confidence. And so I'm like sitting there, like, like, are you guys going to tell them anything about what we've been talking about? Like, we don't know what we're doing. And you guys just yell at us all game long that, <laughs> and they're, they, they're quiet. Like they've been there. Petrie had been there for three years, been had been there for only a year before they don't say anything and i'm like i guess i've i guess i've been in the league longer than these guys maybe it's my job so i'm just like like well i feel like we just we need you to give us some confidence we just feel like we're getting yelled at a lot and we don't always know what's going on out there and he just was like he's like what he's like no he says if you guys want to play with confidence then you guys just have confidence and do it go out there and do it and i'm like well I mean, a little bit. Like, yeah, we. I mean, obviously, we do need to play with confidence, but I think that it will help a lot if you guys are on our side, you know, and and give us a little bit of that confidence because right now we just feel like we get the puck and we're panicking. We don't know where the play is. And uh, he ended up. So just the conversation ended after a little bit. and He took a lot of offense to it. It was clear that he didn't like that I said that. And so our relationship was pretty rocky from then on. Not. Not like we would be yelling at each other or anything like that, but I, I, we just didn't, we weren't buddies at that point, and so, season just went terrible. No one knew what was going on, um, and then the next year came and, uh, and we're playing Toronto, and I had a, I had a pretty good training camp because I, I went home that summer thinking like I need to, I, my game needs to be at its peak to try and help this team, uh, be good, and uh, yeah, first game of the season, Toronto, I walk into the dressing room. I just glanced over at the starting lineup and my name was beside the, the right-hand defenseman, um, and not, not on the starting lineup. And I'm like, that's, that's weird. Like, I wonder what's going on there. Never, I'd never seen it before in my career. Right. So I was like, I was like, is that, is that a typo? Like they never make a typo with this stuff. And so I was just waiting for someone to say something, nothing was said and I stayed out on the ice after and, and skate, and, uh, and we had a new D coach that year, and I'm just expecting him to pull me aside and say something, nothing. I'm like, all right, well, you know, to me at this point, I'm like, like, that's the end of the world. Like, I, I don't even know what to do with this right now. And so, you know, I'll call my agent after freaking out. He's like, he's like, I'll try and figure out what's happening. I didn't see this coming. And uh, so game two goes by, nothing, three, four, five, six games healthy, nothing, not a single talk the new D coach comes up to me finally. He's like, Hey, like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I wasn't here last year. I haven't really been told anything, but just, just stick with it. It's all, it's all I can really tell you stick with it and keep working. And wow. I'm like, okay, sure. And so finally they get me in, I think it was the seventh or eighth game of the season, play two games back out for another seven or eight game ride, nothing. Um, and then, play again against whoever it was, uh, Vegas or something like that. And, and, you know, as a hockey player, like, you know, when you've had a good game and a bad game, right? I remember thinking to myself, like, that was a pretty good game. Like, we played barely any any zone time in our D zone. We were we were good. And uh, and then he just, the coach said after, he's like, yeah, I thought they were, I thought you guys were running around too much in the D zone. And I'm just like, what does he want? Like, I, don't, I have no idea what this guy wants. And so anyways... They throw me on waivers, and I'm just like, holy shit! Like, how did wow. this happen? I'm signing this five-year deal, playing one year, to all of a sudden being on waivers the next year. I was so confused by what was going on, and and I, you know, I finally had talked to the coach about it, and I'm just like, look, I don't know what you want from me out there. I I think I'm doing the things that you're saying, but clearly it's not it's not what you want. Um, like help me, like sh- tell me what you want because I'm just sitting here thinking I'm doing the right things, but they're not and
0: again like for you it's not a thing about numbers like production or things like that like where it's cut and dry or not producing right now for you it's like hey like tell me what you want like
2: exactly i if you if you tell me what to do like i'm coachable i'll do it right so he would always say these things like you know we we were playing a zone defense right i came from a man on man in washington so that was it's easy to understand right You're, you're you're on your guy so zone he just he kept talking about your quadrants right you play in this quarter that's you and then and then you don't go any further right yeah and so I'm like, pass okay, it off to the next guy yeah, it's Pretty easy to understand right so yeah. then i i'd play into this corner i'd be i'd be on a guy up the wall and then all of a sudden he'd get to you know outside the top of the circle so i'd stop and i'd kind of back off i have to go find the next guy that's in my quadrant and then i'd get in, i'd get in shit for not not being tight enough on that guy and, and closing him off i'm like he went out of my quadrant like i'd <laughs> I'm trying to stay in my zone, like you've been telling us. You know, it's just these crazy mixed messages. Like, imagine, like a, like a relationship with a with a girl that's giving you all these mixed messages. That's what it felt like with him. It's like he's telling you one thing, then all of a sudden switching it. And so, anyways, I go on waivers. I do my thing in the minors. I didn't complain about it because yeah, I thought that was the fastest way to get back up. I come back in, um, scratch for a bunch more. I I talk to the GM. Finally, I'm like, look, tell me what. Tell me what you guys need for me because I I have no idea what's going on right now. And he said he's just you know Mark Bergman and freaking guy like him and Claude two my two most hated people in hockey. Um, he's just like going in next game. If you play good, you'll you'll keep playing. I'm wow. like, All right, all right sure. So Seems the like they the, were just
1: totally checked out those guys.
2: Yeah, it, totally. They were over me. It was it was wild. And then so yeah, we're playing. St. Louis, the team that won the cup that year. So it was a, it was a big game. Or ended up winning the cup that year. And so that game, Claude comes in. He puts this thing on the wall. He says, "Kate, okay, we're taking these stats. This is how we're going to know if you guys are playing hard because we were still terrible that year." He says it's it's um, battles won, um hits, block shots, um all these like like hard working stats, you know, things like that. And then a few like, you know, cre- offensively creative plays things like that and so i'm like okay easy and so we play the game we end up losing four one or three one and uh next day at the rink he posts they post the stats on on the board and it was out of a hundred that you could get and i had i had 86 out of 100 next closest was was weber at 74 everybody else was was like 60 and lower so i'm like well i killed it had my right? like good game yeah, I did exactly <laughs> what they asked me to do. Next game, out of the lineup again. And so I sat down the next day. I'm like, what is going on? So at, oh, at oh that point, God. I was just, I was checked out too, right? I was like, this isn't my team anymore. Like, they clearly don't care about what I'm doing. So I'm moving on to, to, my, to my team in, uh, in Laval. And so I ended up having a great time in Laval. It was, it was a blast. Uh, the guys were awesome. The coach was was really, really great to me. He, I think he felt bad for me and my situation there um and so i just i just had a blast with those guys we we were okay we weren't we weren't a great team we had a lot of really really young players um and so we we had a bit of a tough time winning games but but it was just it was a good time i didn't have i could go and shovel snow right before the game and then just get in the car and show up (laughs) you i was because i was about an hour away from from laval so the coach would be like hey look don't worry about coming in today just just take the day off and things like that. I'd be like, yeah, this is, I can get used to it. I am I can kind of do what I want. Like the games are easy. I don't need to prepare for anything. I can kind of go through the motions and still, still be good out here. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I can get used to this for the next however many years, if I have to, but I'm expecting to get out of, get out of there. And, uh, it just never ended up happening. Didn't, didn't get, uh, didn't get traded or bought out that year, um, which obviously like who wants to pick up a guy with, with three years left on a, on a $4 million contract who is in the American league, right? Like that's, that's not the way to trade a player. You you have to, you have to showcase this guy if you want to get him out. So yeah. I knew I was in the position. And so then after the third year, I was just praying for a buyout. I was begging for it. I asked the GM, please like, just give me another chance. Like I'm only 30, 30 years old or 31 at the time like, just let me out of here. And he's he pretty much said he was going to bury me in the miners, And I'm just like, I'm like, all right. So I, I ended up going to the owner. I texted the owner. I said, Hey, look, like I can't come back there. I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, um, forfeit my contract, but I'm not coming back <laughs> just so you know, like, like I can't do that. And so I got bought out like four or five days later and I was, just <laughs> like, yes, thank God. And so this was during COVID. Um, I got I was supposed to come back. I was supposed to come back for the return to play. So I forgot that part. And I never came back because I wasn't gonna play anyways. So playing in that bubble. Oh, in the bubble. Yeah. I'm not doing that. So <laughs> this was after that. I finally got bought out. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Like, this is kind of awesome. Like at home with the kids. I got three kids at this point, living in Kelowna. I'm like I can get used to this. And I like, I don't I just I just might not I just might not go back. Like there isn't really a great option for me right now. I'll have to go on a on a tryout, um, and, uh, and nothing was really materializing that I thought would be interesting. And then, like like you asked about going to Europe, there was an opportunity to go to to go to um, uh, Berlin, uh, then I think Stockholm and and Austria, like all great uh, or Salzburg, sorry for Red Bull, all great options, right? Like I'd love to live in those cities, but just went, went through my mind like don't want to move the kids around. Like, you know, man, we live in the same area our entire life. <laughs> I want my kids to have that I've already moved them around enough in the last two years. I don't want to move them to a bunch of different places in Europe and then come back. Like, Especially I mean, while
0: they're in school. Right. Exactly. Like my it's daughter, all right. Maybe before that, but once they're in school, you probably want to settle some roots, right?
2: That's exactly it. My daughter's very friend oriented. So she needs to have her group of friends or somebody at least. And so I didn't want to, I just, that was going through my mind so I don't want to do that. And so actually I have a, I have a hilarious story that I'll get to after how I ended up, we ended up going back, we ended up uh, just saying, screw it. We're going to go back to DC. And my, my old buddy, my neighbor here hired me um, to work for his, well, he, they had to hire me to work for his tech company so that they could sponsor me for a visa. Uh. So that's kind of how all this happened. So now I work for his, his tech company so I can get a visa and apply for a green card. And so we just said, screw it, let's let's just go back to DC, and and now we've been back here for uh, for a year and a half, just back into it. So, anyways, to go back to the Montreal stuff, it was a nightmare. That's why I hate Montreal. And <laughs> I still can't bring myself to go back. But I got invited to a wedding this uh, this summer, so I may have to go um, and get over myself. But you know, obviously, I I blame that situation for my career ending at that time. I never expected or or thought that I would. Um, stopped playing at 31. I was always 40 was my number, right? Before I, realistically, it was probably more like 35, but but yeah, it was I was I was mentally done, I was I was over hockey at that point. Um, I was more focused on family and wife and kids, and so I wasn't uh I wasn't into the grind, and so we just decided to, to hang him up, play men's league.
1: Yeah, regardless, of, you, you had an amazing career. I gotta ask you this. Was Vancouver ever a destination at any point?
2: So at the um, going into free agency, no, because at when you've never been in free agency, you think you have, you've you got the league by the balls and you're just going to go wherever the heck you want, right? And so I remember saying to my agent that, like, no, I probably couldn't play in van because I don't want to be torn by family and friends all the time. Like, I want to be able to focus on the team. Yeah, can't go to Calgary because my wife's family's in Calgary and I played there. So it'd be the same situation. Um, and so those were the two cities that, that at the time I said, no, like, like most players, like in, in Canadians, uh, hockey fans probably don't like to hear it, but Canada is on a, a no fly list for a lot of players. You know, that's, they, they say no to Canada unless they have some sort of dream to play in one of the cities. Um, I think a lot of their first thought is like, let's stay, let's stay in the States, especially out West where you have terrible travel. Um, So that, that for a lot of guys was the thing for me, it was the same thing. But then looking back on it, um, like Vancouver and Calgary were still way above uh, Montreal, you know, like if I'm going to choose a Canadian city, I'm choosing one of those over, over the one that's been on my no trade list. Right. And so I found out after the fact that Calgary was very interested I would have loved to come to. I would have, I would have come to Vancouver and played there. the uh, The year I was like the, the year I, I stopped playing, I was still staying in shape and skating and all that. And Jay Beagle was actually he was letting me know that he was putting my name out there to try and get me to come. Um, for whatever reason, it just didn't materialize. So I would have, I would have loved to have come there at the end because I realized you know what was important and it would have been great to be be in that area. But uh, but yeah, it just at the time. At the time they weren't on my radar because I I I thought I was going to Dallas. I thought I was going to sign in Dallas. Then I thought I was going to sign in Nashville. And and uh and then all of a sudden ended up in Montreal. So it was it was just uh it was weird, man. It's three agencies that you can't you can't be really prepared for it. It's just strange how it happens.
0: Yeah, there's uh that's a lot of stuff people don't think about uh as fans or you know, people following the game, all the stuff that goes into it. Guys are humans they have families they have other things that go into their decisions not just dollar signs and and the teams or the cities that uh they're looking at going to play for there's a lot that goes into it um and those are some of the things you mentioned there it's too bad could have used you over here yeah it's, it's a, a bit of,
1: it's a bit of a fiasco here with the vancouver canucks i'm sure you heard
2: <laughs> oh, man it's frustrating because you know like i said i was a leafs fan growing up but you know by the time i was 11, 12 and all my, all my buddies started watching hockey and stuff too. I turned into a big Canucks fan. And so I, I followed them closely when I saw what was going on. I I was just like, what's happening. Like, I would love to, I would love to be there. I don't know if I could help on the ice, but even if I could help off the ice, you know, oh, I they- think you
0: could. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds like when I hear last that they need to, they need to go back to grade school on defense, right? It's it's yeah. unfortunate that that's uh, what it's come to, but yeah, the basics. The basics, man. I I love the. I still love the team. Like I would love to be able to be a part of the organization. It's uh, somehow, but I I I just don't know exactly how that would. Now that Bruce isn't there, like Bruce is my guy, so he would have. I think if I would have asked him, he would have tried to fit me in. But I don't think he had much pull. <laughs>
0: no, it sounded like he had your Montreal Canadiens uh, situation going for him here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: it happens, man. It happens a lot. You don't you don't always get to hear about it. Um, and it was unfortunate because Bruce is just salt of the earth, man. He's such a good person and, and really, really cares. Like, like just to tell you a a Bruce thing, my, so my first game or not my first game, sorry. Um, I, I was up with the caps for quite a while and I got sent down and, uh, I was, I was bummed. Obviously I, I was up for like 20 games straight. So I thought I had, I thought I was on the team. Right. And, uh, and he just said to me. He's like look i know we're going to vancouver soon on our on our west coast trip he's like i'm gonna do everything in my power to get you back for that trip because we're also doing rookie party and i just said i'm like i'm like okay sure like i I don't really know what to believe and so i'm down there for a couple weeks and um you know they're they're leaving the next day on the trip and mandy's there with me and i'm like yeah you know bruce said he was gonna call me up but i'm not up there today then i'm not going on that trip so Unfortunately, I guess it's not happening, whatever. And less than 30 minutes later, Bruce calls me. And he just says, hey, I told you I'd get you up here. Come on. Wow. And I'm like, what? Six. Straight to the house, pack my bag, get back there and go on the West Coast trip, play in front of my friends and family and rookie party and all that stuff. And it was still to this day, <clears throat> I think top – it's best rookie party Washington's ever had, but it's probably top five in the league. Like it was – an epic rookie party. Do you remember Sandeep? You, you remember Sandeep? Oh yeah, yeah. Sandeep yeah. came to the party. Sandy, oh my man, my best friend, and uh, and he's the only one of my buddies that got to come, but he did get to come and experience the party. So it was it was very very lucky. So you know, just to go back to Bruce, like Bruce is just he's a man. He's the man. So I I feel terrible for what happened.
0: Just oh, another there. good story about that guy. And I guess now that Vegas is in the league, I'm guessing. That's probably the the hot spot for these rookie parties, but Vancouver I heard used to be, the uh, the spot to do it.
2: <laughs> Vancouver was great because there's exchange rate was was obviously great, um, so that was nice. Uh, you'd usually get a pretty good buzz going around the city that there's a rookie party happening, and there's there's one guy in particular that owns a bar there that he would love having oh, yeah. the guys there, although he charged a premium. I know he did because because I keep Coles tabs on the bill for all those things. And so um, he had a great setup. It was expensive, but we figured that the uh, exchange, exchange
0: rate covered rate,
2: it. <laughs> a lot of teams go out there and they spend time because they don't want to travel all the way back. Right. That's so right,
0: yeah. So they'll go play in Alberta, Europe. then come here for a couple of days and play Vancouver and exactly and head out. So, yeah,
2: So it makes sense for like the East coast teams to do it there when they have the opportunity. There's only a few places where you get to spend, spend any extra days. And so, so, yeah, so Van was good because – and you're also, like, as a hockey player in Vancouver or anywhere in Canada, like, you you have clout, right? If you have a rookie party in, in L.A. and try and get in somewhere, they're just like, <laughs> like, sorry, we got Dr. Dre here tonight. So yeah. you guys can't come. So
0: it's, Take it's a, a little, back seat.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's a little different. So, yeah, Van, Van was a really, really fun time.
0: Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, that was – very cool. Some unbelievable stories with that. I guess now that uh, you mentioned kind of what you're getting into with your, after retiring from the game, what kind are you up to now? What else are you up to other than, you know, get working for your friends tech company there and um, yeah. Anything else that you're up to?
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a busy guy. Like I feel like I need to always have something going on. So, so yeah, this tech thing is, is, is what takes up a good chunk of my time. It, it's, very, very interesting. I'm not tech savvy at all, but turns out you don't necessarily have to be to work in that industry. So that, that is kind of fun to be a part of. But one of the things that I'd say is like a more of a passion project. Um, me, Eric Fair, Jay Beagle, all, all teammates in Washington. We we're part of this company called Lactigo, which is really, really fun. Um, it's being used now by like, I think we're 60 to 70% of the league, of the NHL and uh lots of other sports cycling running um guys like usain bolt used used it and uh and so what it is it's a gel and it helps buffer lactic acid and help with uh your day after uh your muscle soreness so the late onset muscle soreness is what they call it so you know when you do a heavy heavy squat day in the gym the next day you can't walk this stuff helps minimize that that feeling and uh and and uh you know, the lack of burn that you get Mnuch, in your legs and warm up and you, you're like, Oh crap, the legs aren't there. This, this stops that from happening. It's, it's really crazy. We all used it and we're realized how good it was. So we all decided to get involved with the company. And so I, my role is nothing official. It's more just like business development and, and trying to bring more awareness to the product. So give out samples all the time to people just to test it out. And that's how we do our marketing. Really. It's like, you try this and, and uh, and two weeks later we see their name pop up with an order online because they're like, holy crap, it actually it actually okay. works. So are so some
1: NHLers using, using it? Yes, oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah Mick Matthews, Patrietti, like a lot of a lot of big dogs are using it. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. And it's uh, we've used it in the Kentucky Derby, horses use it too. So it's it kind of spans a whole different 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 realm. Like I'll give you a funny example with the Kentucky Derby. So we, we were testing it out cause we also have a horse line of the product. And so we did five random horses at this, at this Derby. They were from dark horses, middle of the pack. And I think one of them was maybe projected like top three or four. And so we didn't know until 30 minutes before the race. And uh, those five horses finished one, two, three, four, five in the race. And it was oh. the big, biggest upset in Kentucky Derby history up until I think two years ago, I can't remember what the horse was. That had uh, it was a had terrible odds and ended up winning it, but it it was all five of our horses went one through five to win that race, and so we knew we had something special there. And and horse um, horse muscle is very similar to to human human muscle, so we're like, yeah, clearly there's a there's something happening. So uh, we turned it into this, and yeah, it's it's like I said, it's a passion project. Um, it's it's got some potential, and uh, and I I think about it. Probably more than I should think about it, but you know, like I said I, I need to keep myself busy doing stuff.
1: It's really cool. I actually checked it out. Lactogo.com you can get more info. And then they also have an Instagram page. So go GOAT, GOAT fans, check them out. It looks like it could be the the real deal.
0: No wonder these kids are buzzing around the NHL now. It's not the not just their training in the off season. They're yeah, they David missed off themselves and flying around. Mick Jesus. Oh, I could have yeah. used this.
2: I know. Right. That's what so many people are saying. It's it's extending their career because their legs are still alive. So it's, it's pretty Don't cool. Tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing too, man, is it's not even, it's not even just for athletes. Like my mom uses it on her toe. She's got arthritis on her toe and she uses it when she's driving or my dad on his elbow. Like it doesn't matter. It's just, uh, it, it just helps with, it helps with, with pain. It, so it, yeah, it's pretty cool, but it is extending careers. you like, well, eventually do some actual marketing so you guys will see it see it out there um but yeah it's uh it's 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 a secret it's like the best kept secret because it's like nobody wants to give away their secret recipe right is there is is your did did your dad want to give away his sauce recipe no (laughs) right no so it's the same but here have a taste yeah you can (laughs) see how good it is right
0: We'll uh, Take some samples though. We uh got some men's leaguers are in the goat rush sometimes, and
2: yeah, uh, for sure. Need all the help we can get. Yeah, I'll uh, I can send some out to you guys. It, it, it's a Vancouver based company, Vancouver Island. So, oh wow, awesome, perfect, Even better,
1: unreal, beauty, Our awesome, King Carl. Let's finish the pot off with a little fun here, uh, with a segment called Goat Rapid Fire.
2: Yeah, let's do it.
1: So, yeah, you can give us your answer. You can expand on them if you want, or you can say uh, next question.
2: Okay. sounds good.
1: Okay, let's get started. LeBron James or Michael Jordan?
2: Michael Jordan, for sure. More points, less games.
1: Leo Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo?
2: I like Leo. I don't know. Something about Ronaldo, I, I don't know. Just personal preference. I like Leo.
1: Novak Djokovic or Rafa Nadal?
2: This is tough for me. Um I I I I like Nadell's watch. I like the, the watch that <laughs> Richard Mill I saw. So, Richard Mill. <laughs> um, I guess.
0: Rafa.
1: Habib or GSP?
2: I gotta go GSP just because he's Canadian.
1: Yeah, good call. Pizza or sushi?
2: Pizza, for sure. Big pizza guy.
1: Poke or Pepsi?
2: Coke. Oh, does anyone like Pepsi?
0: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> you watch that documentary, by the way. It's pretty good, the Pepsi one.
0: No, I haven't. No. But we we mentioned on a previous podcast. It's usually you get the oh, sorry, is Pepsi okay when you order a a Coke at a restaurant? They have to apologize that they carry yeah, Pepsi. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Pepsi cheaper. Sorry, we got
0: it. yeah. Tupac or Biggie.
2: Tupac, West Coast, come on! Even though, even though I do love Biggie, but I mean West Side, yeah, <laughs> rapper country. Country. <laughs>
1: this is my favorite one, Crosby or Ovechkin. <laughs>
2: um, okay, so if we're just talking overall best, right? Like
1: whatever you want, it's your you pick one. Who would you pick on your squad?
2: Well, so. Sid's going to go down as one of the best players of all time, right? Best players of all time. Always going to go down as the best goal scorer of all time. Um, So I'm building a team around, around Sid.
1: Okay. Chara or Hedman?
2: Uh, That's (laughs) hard. Um, Chara, I think in his prime was, was unbelievable just because he was a great D man, had that shot and was scary as hell super mean um Hedman is is just so freaking smooth he's like like Lidstrom. um I'm probably picking Hedman though yeah probably picking Hedman
1: favorite player growing up
2: Steve Iserman or Joe Sakic were my favorite players growing up yeah
1: who was your roomie on the road
2: uh, so John Carlson was my roommate in uh, Washington and Jay Beagle was in uh, in Hershey. <laughs> <laughs> Beaks had some unbelievable times for that guy's so funny. Uh, I wish that I wish people would know Beaks the way that I know Beaks because he's he's like he doesn't want anybody to know him and so he's uh, when you actually get to see some of the things he does behind the scenes like, he did. Okay. I'm sure I can say this because it doesn't really matter, but we got fined one time at Hershey and uh he was so mad about the fine. He was injured at the time that every day or every other day he would go into the fine master's stall and take out five bucks until he had the whole hundred bucks that he needed to pay the fine. I just, I just love Beaks. He's, he's uh He's a really, really great guy.
1: And speaking of Beagle, ECHL, AHL, NHL titles.
2: Ellie Calder, and Stanley. Only player to do it. It's yeah,
1: pretty phenomenal. amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: Most underrated player you played with?
2: Nick Backstrom. I mean, I know now it's kind of – it cat's out of the bag, but he uh, he was for sure the most underrated. I, he He's just – the things that he does with the puck, how smooth, um, like the the holes that he was hitting with these passes and stuff, it was it was crazy. And his shot too, like he never shoots the puck, but he scores every single time in practice. So it's <laughs> yeah. and seven too. I mean, Alex Seven was a guy who didn't really get enough credit. Um yeah. never really had the proper centerman either uh, consistently. He was more skilled than Ovi, um, more athletic than Ovi, um, but just didn't couldn't put it together the way Ovi did.
1: Weirdest pre-game ritual.
2: Personal or yours? I had so many. Uh, Oh, the weirdest one though was probably probably my anthem during the national anthem. I did so many. I had the anthem dialed into every single word. I had to do something. Um, I when I was a junior, I used to have to outline the Canadian flag. I used to have to tap my stick 88 times. Um, <laughs> when I got to the NHL, I used to have to like open my glove, on, glove on certain words, wiggle my hands on certain words, and squeeze wow. on certain words. I'd have to look at certain spots in the stands. I, look, I had to look at. I have to look at Ovi at one point when when the anthem said stars. I had to look at Ovi wow. and had to look at my curve. Um, when it said still there, I had to grip the hell out of my stick. I had so many weird things for the anthem. It was like. That was me getting into the zone, right? The OCD
1: rituals, yeah.
2: It was like, that's like, when when that stuff happened, it was game time, right? So now even still, when I hear the anthem, like I can still feel myself every now and then, I'll be standing there and I'll just like...
0: like, (laughs) Looking for Ovi?
2: Yeah, like where's that guy? (laughs) And then I, I would tap my stick too, right? Right at the end, I would do like a slow tap, slow tap, and then start to get a little bit faster right at the end of the anthem. It's so my first game back in wash when I was with Montreal, I'm in the starting lineup and I just go to, I go to tap my stick and I'm like in my zone. And then I hear another tap and I look over and it's Carlson. He's on the other blue line doing it. He's with doing me. the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool.
1: Best trash talker in the NHL when you played.
2: Mm. Um, I probably say Ryan gets Him. Oh, really good. Um, Cold Giroux was actually pretty good as well. Uh, yeah, I'd say those are probably the, the top two that I experienced best trash talkers
0: and good players too. Usually, it's kind of the the, the muckers that are.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's good when they do it because they can back it up, right?
0: That's true. Then they shut you up.
1: When you played, what was the the consensus? Who was who had the heavyweight title as a fighter?
2: Um, who was the consensus? Um, I think, well, so Derek Bugard, probably towards the beginning. Um, and, uh, uh, what's his name? uh Calgary with the Mohawk, uh, McGratton. Oh he was, yeah. He was always up there. Um, and then kind of on, on our side on the East was probably, I mean, we had DJ King who was a killer um very very tough speaking of
1: dj king busto had a nice story that where dj
2: palmed his
1: helmet off of his head (laughs) (laughs) on on our last episode it was pretty funny
2: not surprised to hear that dj was a was a monster of a man and him and john erskine so john erskine was extremely tough too and those guys would hang out out and go drinking together and just a duo you do not want to run into after a few too many whiskeys. They are they were scary, scary tough. Um, so yeah, I don't know. DJ Kinger was he was I, I give him the vote just because I played with him, but there was there were so many tough guys that when I first started that I would just <laughs> steer clear of them.
1: Yeah. Um who's gonna win the Stanley Cup this year?
2: Oh, I man, that's a tough question because some of the teams that I kind of expected to be good have been so so injured Um, it's hard to say I I I guess I I will never count out uh, Tampa so I I give them a a little bit of a little bit of a nod always but if if Boston can play the way they have been playing three games prior to the break they they look pretty unbeatable but I don't really have a ton of confidence in Boston in the playoffs unfortunately lately so um shoot it's kind of lame to say but a healthy Colorado or a healthy Tampa which is same same old same old
1: for sure the goat player you played with or against so who is that guy when you're on the bench during a game and you're like wow how how do we defend against this guy
2: so play with is Backstrom, again, go back to him. Um always so impressed with him, on and off the ice. Uh and then against uh is Crosby in the playoffs. He's a different player when the playoffs come around. He does it all at that point. Um and then there was a there was a time and I only saw it for half the year when I when when he was going, I think it was his rookie year, it was Matt Barzell. I was for a while, I was like, Jesus, this guy is so freaking good like his skating is unreal no one can catch him no one knows what he's going to do out there so for a while that was a player that went through my head i'm like this guy is going to be he's a challenge i don't know how to stop this guy right now um it only lasted for a little bit and then you start to kind of figure things out but but besides that and then you know i only I only caught the beginning of uh of mcdavid and
0: uh and you're like i'm just gonna retire i think <laughs> i don't want to figure this guy out
2: there is no figuring him out.
0: Yeah, no, nobody has he's, yet. Like, yeah, wow. Well.
2: You lay down and hope he trips over you. Like there's nothing to do with this guy. <laughs> he's too fast. He, I would love to be in his head for for a game just to see how he sees the the game unfold. Because you know, from from a from a player that that made a career on trying to stop a guy like that, I I don't I don't see how you do that you know, one-on-one, like, I I don't, there's, I don't really see something that he's bad at, you know, like he, he switches direction so fast. He goes from forward to backward. If he has to, he shoots it's there. There's just no weakness that it seems like offensively. So, yeah. I mean, overall right now it's McDavid, but for my whole career, it was Crosby.
1: Awesome. Goats. Goats. First thing you bought when you signed your first contract.
2: I bought a car. Uh, it wasn't like a, a very impressive, like flashy car. It was, it was a Mercedes ML 350, just like kind of standard mom grocery getter, uh, I guess. Maybe a little bit above average grocery getter, but it was, <laughs> it was, I think it cost me 30 grand. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. I was at that point still like I need to prove myself before I do anything here, anything flashy. Um, so, yeah, that was it. And I, I bought myself one nice suit. And, uh, I still have it actually. I I think I can barely fit in it right now, but (laughs) it was like, I still baby that thing. I still call it my number one suit too. So, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't crazy with anything too big. I was always too scared to, to spend all my money. So yeah, that was it.
1: So last one, the most famous person in your phone.
2: Oh, um, I guess depends on what circle you're in and what you think is famous. I mean, obviously, Obie's uh, is famous to a lot of people. Um, I guess throw a Burnaby native in there, Michael Buble. Uh, we thought
1: football. you would say that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty popular guy to us, at least. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say that we play fantasy football together. So we uh, we chirp each other on on that. He's actually a really good fantasy hockey player too, and. And football, he's won the league two years in a row, which is very frustrating because um, you don't want a guy like that to win. <laughs> you
0: know, Man, he's already he's, a, he's already winning a lot.
2: He wins everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's uh, he's a good good fantasy player. Very good.
0: He's
1: a global icon. If I if we could get that guy in the goat rush, <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, he doesn't live too far away.
1: Uh, you no, know, I. I no. I've seen him around here. I've I've given him a few head nods. He's he seems like a beauty. He's a hockey guy, right? Let's maybe we can set that up.
2: <laughs> hey, the goat Raj. That seems like a pretty desirable place to be. You know, he you probably want to come. He's actually got a setup just like you in his uh his place. All the jerseys in the background. Yeah. He's a huge, huge sports fan in general. I think he's he's a huge hockey fan, but he's a massive football fan. So we'll I'll make go.
0: sure to tag him in this. Yeah.
2: Tag him in this. He's uh. He's, yeah, he's, he's helping us with our league a lot. Cause he's got a lot of good insight because he is a veteran fantasy football player. Um, so that's, it's been nice to have, but yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy to have around. Yeah.
1: There's a cool clip of, uh, him in DC doing a concert and he, and he put on your Jersey.
2: Yeah, That was that really was, cool. I mean that, that we had joked around that maybe that would be our, uh, fantasy football punishment is that he'd have to call someone up on stage and sing a song. Uh, people at this so you probably can't mess around with those things but we, we thought it was funny and then he was coming to dc so i just joked with him that i was gonna throw a jersey on stage um and uh like don't don't have your security kick me out and uh and he messaged me like two hours before the concert saying i got something better let's uh let's do this instead so he ended up planning all that 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 went down so it was, it was pretty cool, but I couldn't imagine the guy's schedule. Like he is mm-hmm. to be at that level, what he does and, and be that successful. It's just nonstop. So you know, I'm proud to say he's a, uh, he's from Burnaby because that's uh, like a global icon.
1: Absolutely. One more thing. What do you got sipping there? I know I'm going to get me a drink very soon. You got some Covasier there or what?
2: <laughs> I got, <laughs> uh, I've actually been getting into bourbon quite a lot. It's uh, yeah. Super popular here in Virginia, so I got into it uh, a little while ago. This is just just a little buffalo trace. It's it's actually like you it's considered very it's considered rare here because you can't find anything on shelves in Virginia. It's just extremely competitive market. So this is a buffalo trace. Uh, yeah, I, I get into a little bit of everything. What do you, what's that though? Oh, uh, a patrol.
1: I I think vacation Steve brought this over last podcast. And uh, we're gonna have a nice little toast,
2: yes, to this
1: that. to this podcast. Because you know what, we're gonna we're bringing the goat fans in a frenzy after this one. This was <laughs> a wicked pod, King Carl. We loved hearing your stories, your insights. You had a fantastic career, and like Burnaby is really proud of you, man. You are an absolute local goat.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. Sorry for being a little windy, but. This, no. uh, chat
0: with you guys. No, that was awesome, man. Cheers Car- to you guys. I got a big uh men's league game here in about 45 minutes. So I'm gonna stay away from uh from oh. the hard liquor. <laughs>
2: what have to do? Men's league, man. Cheers. Though. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers.
1: All right. Oh, beauty. All right, guys. Good stuff. King Carl, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you taking the time.
2: My pleasure. It was fun to talk to you guys. New What's your team's Thank name? you very much.
0: Uh the the White Eagles. It's a group of buddies. They beg me to come out and play. I have a full <laughs> bubble on now because I lost six teeth uh this season. And uh I it's my third time putting gear on since I stopped playing. So I I absolutely despise it right now, but these guys okay. want me to come out. So uh,
2: uh you'll you want to get back into it, I'm sure, like full time at some point. You just need you need that outlet, you need to hang with the fellas.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's why we started the podcast. What's <laughs>
2: exactly. go. good, man. Good luck. Awesome. Yeah, thank you.
0: Have fun at the, the Stadium Series game there, and we'll keep in touch here.
2: All right. Uh, yeah, keep posting on how things You guys. King Carl, right. thanks,
0: man. No problem. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Backstrom bringing it ahead with Green breaking, and that one thrown wide, and a little wand
2: came from Elliot on Green skins. So it's Ovechkin. Looking for the hat-trick and getting his team back to within one. That one skipped off Green in the glass. And then, oh, an attempt by Reeves to put Green into the third row. And he just got the turnbuckle. So along with this now, it's thrown across by Ovechkin and then Green again. Green fed it back. Held there by Allsmane. Alzmer lifted one. stop. chance to shoot the puck, but Steve Ott does a wonderful job there of buying some time.
1: And you talk about traffic in front of the net. I mean, you got six bodies there, and Alsner just fires it as Elliott's going down. I don't know if it's ever directed or not, but it beats him,
2: and it's a one-goal game. And it's a great job by Wilson to take all those cross-checks to the back and not go to the crease. But you're absolutely right. I mean, that's Carl Alser with a seeing-eye shot. With all the blocked shots today, Pierre, I'm surprised that